Welcome to the State of the Markets podcast. I'm Paul Rodriguez of ThinkTrading.com. I'm Tim Price of PriceValuePartners.com. And our very special guest is Harry Miller of The Bad Law Project. Harry Miller, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. It's a, it's a delight. So talk us through, firstly, The Bad Law Project. But before we get to that, talk us through your, your, your previous CV, if, if we could maybe indulge you on that. Well, I think it was in 20, 2019, um, the police visited my place of work on Immingham Dock uh, because they'd received a report, an anonymous report uh, initially, uh, from, one, from someone who said that um, the nature of my tweeting was such that they feared for the transgender population of, of Immingham. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't realise we had a we had an obnoxious bastard on the uh, call. We may have to uh, yeah, abandon, absolutely, absolutely. abandon things now. That, that's, that's exactly it. So, so what I said was like, okie dokie. I said, is, I'm an ex-policeman, so I wasn't intimidated. Most people are intimidated by a, a visit from the police, but I sure. wasn't. Uh, so I said, okie dokie, right, have I have I done anything criminal? And they said, oh, no, you've done nothing criminal. I said, so why are you here then? And they said, well, we need to check your thinking. What? <laughs> that instantly set alarm bells off in my head. And I said, okay, so let me get this straight. I haven't done anything wrong. No, you're the police. Yeah. And you've come to check my thinking. Yeah. I said, have you any idea what that makes you? And he said, no. And I said, well, 1984 is a dystopian novel, not a police how-to manual. The reference entirely passed him by. He never heard of Orwell. He never heard of 1984. And he had no idea that he was doing anything remotely wrong. As far as, as, far as he was concerned, uh, on the basis that somebody had reported uh, tweets, non-criminal tweets, uh, the police decided that that was justification enough to visit me at my place of work, to give me a warning. And when I asked why, they said, in case your non-criminal tweeting escalates to criminal tweeting. But that's, said, that's, well, a lot like, that's a lot like uh, thought crime, isn't it? Really? Well, that, 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 that's exactly it. That's, so, so, you know, criminal... So I've not committed a crime, but if I keep not committing a crime, this is likely to lead to a crime. So, yes. Can we get this straight? Hold on a minute. I said, what crime do you have in mind? And he said, the murder of Stephen Lawrence. Right. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Fair enough. (laughs) Because I was going to say on that subject, um, we've heard many times when uh, a partner has complained about somebody who's being violent towards them or a stalker or whatever and they go to the police and they say look i'm worried this person is is you know following me doing all these things and very often they say well there's no crime committed here we can't do anything we've our hands are tied but on this occasion they leapt into action given that they're extremely busy and I've got a lot of sympathy for the police because it's a job I wouldn't want to do, but they had enough time to go round to your house just because of some lawful tweets that they, that somehow someone might assume that they're not lawful, but there's, it's a completely gray area as to who is deciding this. No, there there, there was no gray area at all. Uh, Well, they did come to my house, came to my place of work. Because the complaint was that uh, my tweets revealed a, a mindset and a deeply criminal character, uh, and therefore the transgender population of Immingham Dock were not safe in my presence. So they came to my place 
of work. There was no question at all about whether or not I'd committed a crime. There was no criminal investigation to see if, in fact, I had committed a crime. This was entirely a thing called a non-crime. It was called, it characterized as a non-crime hate incident. Now, what's interesting about a non-crime hate incident is that it is entirely perception-based. In other words, if somebody perceives that something that you have said is hateful, that's all that it takes. Well, that purely, sounds, that sounds pure, hateful. It's, pure, it's purely subjective, then. It's that... entirely subjective. And also, the, the College of Policing guidance, which sets the standards uh, for the police and tells them what to do, it actually says no element, no evidence of hate is required for a non-crime hate incident. Now, you tell me how utterly illogical is that? So we have a non-crime crime based on hate that there is no evidence of. No, that, that you couldn't make that up. I mean, no, that... no, no, you couldn't. You couldn't make it up, which is why I, eventually I took them to the, I took them to court. Um, I beat the, the the chief constable of Homicide, who was the person. What What did you used to beat him with? Was it a flail or a cock? I beat I beat I beat him with the strong arm of the law. <laughs> I beat him. I beat him with judicial review. Uh, that's what I beat him with. And then because his defence was we were following the College of Policing guidance. Uh, we took the College of Policing to court for issuing essentially unlawful criminal guidance. Uh, we won that as well. And uh, that's now being struck down as unlawful based on it, it being a breach of my art of our Article 10 ECR ECHR rights, uh, which means that, that the state cannot interfere with our lawful speech. And by coming around to my place of work, and saying that I'd not done anything unlawful, but if I continued not doing anything unlawful, it could turn into something unlawful. Um, this created what is known as a chilling effect, a chilling effect on free speech, and the judge was having none of it. And so just to remind, just to remind everybody, this was when this took okay, place? So, so initially, initially, this was in early 2019. Yeah. Court at the end of 2019, uh, we, we got the ruling in my favour in February 2020, and incidentally, the judge did not mince his words. He likened homicide police to the Stasi, the Cheka, and the Gestapo. Um, that's quite something. That's quite a reference, isn't it, if you think about mm, it? The, sure. three, the three worst political police forces in recent European hi history, and uh, the, the chief constable got um, compared to all three. That's quite good, isn't it? And then, of course, COVID happened and the world returned to normal. COVID happened, the world returned to very much normal, yeah. Where, where of course, uh, but, but again, the, the police dealt with COVID in a similar way to how they dealt with non-crime hate incidents. They took guidance given by uh, the Prime Minister, given by Mr Whitty, uh, given by uh, Sage, and they interpreted it, interpreted it and acted upon it as though it were law. And I think I think the tragedy here is that Sarah Everard got into Wayne Cousins' car because she thought that by simply going for a walk, she had broken the law. Mm. Under normal circumstances, if a cop had pulled up and said, I'm nicking you, and he said, what for? You say, well, because you're going for a walk, you'd have run a mile. Sure. But, but because the police had conflated guidance with law, and nobody was there to challenge them. Um, you know, in, in my instance, I end up with a non-crime hate incident against my name. But you know, poor Sarah Everard 
believing that she'd done something wrong, got into a police car, and look how that ended. Mm. Raped and murdered. That's so you, so that's you, you, you've been a policeman yourself? You've been a police... Yeah, I was a policeman a long, long time ago. Uh, in Humberside, funnily enough. Now, what, what that's done, it, it sort of ignited a, a real deep interest in the law for me, particularly mm. criminal law, and I've never lost that, actually. I've always been at a, a bent towards um, law and legal issues, particularly yeah. pertaining to, to crime. But also, of course, what it did was it exposed me to police officers, um, and you realise that they are flesh and blood and they, they fart like us and smell like us and have moods like us. So mm. the sort of mystique of, of, of the police... Uh, was lost on me. Also, I have quite a few family members who are serving police officers. So um, I suppose in that sense, I am a little bit lucky, a little bit unique in that uh, I didn't succumb to the the chilling effect, which is what they intended. Uh, and I didn't sort of amend my ways simply because a police officer had told me to. But uh, I suppose the, re the reason I, I ask is because, or, or clarify is because you've, you know, if someone's never had any contact with the police, if one's only contact or only exposure to the police had been what they'd seen on, I'm 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 loath to say uh, legacy media. I'd say social media over the last few years. You would be extremely uncomfortable with what you've seen. Well, and, I, I, and that's not I, a national thing. That's an international observation. No, and I think it's a very valid observation because the, the police are conflating guidance with law all the time and making threats. For instance, earlier, I think it was earlier this year, maybe in back end of last year, uh, Merseyside police pulled a 10-foot sign around the car park uh, in on the Wirral um, saying that being offensive is an offence. Well, of course, being mm. offensive is not an offence and it's never been an offence. But the police clearly don't care much for the law and decide to make it up. Uh, their, their, their rationale is that we don't like hate. We don't hate's a bad thing. Um, uh, being offensive is a bad thing. So we'll act as though it's illegal, and we'll tell everybody that it's illegal, uh, and we'll threaten people um, who express a, a, opinions that they don't like, which they consider to be hateful, that are offensive to certain people, and we will scare everybody into silence. That seems to be the tactic today. Mm. The National LGBT Police Network, and by the way, there is such a thing, the National LGBT Police Network. You don't know who these officers are because no force will tell you, but, there are, but they are, have members in every single force across the country, from what I can gather. Uh, they've issued a tweet today saying that they've published new guidance, and anybody who, who, who is hateful towards either one of their officers or get this, any other entity will be criminalised, reported for criminality. What does that even mean? How can you be hateful towards an entity? What does that mean? I don't understand what it means. Do you? But it, it strongly suggests that that effectively um, invalidates any concept of uh, free speech. Of course it does. Because if I say, when it talks about entity, if I say I consider um, Leicestershire police, for instance, taking uh, riot shields onto the streets that say... Uh, policing with pride and that are coloured with the, the trans rights activist flag or the pride flag. If I criticise that, then I'm criticising an entity. And on the basis of what National LGBT Police Network have tweeted today, they are likely to investigate me for criminal activity, for, cri for criticising the entity of a police riot shield. 
Unless you Where found it, it inf- offensive, though. Because under that, if you find something offensive, you're allowed to be for the law to step in in your defence. Yes, but that takes a process, doesn't it? Yeah. And most people have neither got the time or the inclination. But it's it's a no, it's a complete nonsense. It. it is a complete nonsense. Yeah, so what so what we end up so what we end up with is a de facto police state, uh, because if there's nobody holding these quasi police bodies to account. I mean, to whom is the National LGBT Police Network accountable? Which PCC uh, are they held to account by? Well, the answer is not. There is no PCC. When so this is like a star chamber, a sort of ex- extrajudiciary yeah. uh, entity that floats above and beyond the law. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Uh, we, put, we put in uh, FOI requests to every police force in the country saying, who are your national LGBT police uh, members? And uh, they came back and said, we can't tell you because either we don't know, which is worrying, or because they're protected by GDPR. Which is so, just as worrying. Yeah, which is also worrying. So we have a un- unelected, unaccountable, um, unknowable, secret police force. When I say unelected, uh, I mean, there, 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 there's, there isn't a PCC who's been elected to oversee mm. them. There is no accountability whatsoever and this is this is the account by the way which a year ago um when some people that they were tweeting in support of allowing uh, trans identified you know tr- trans women basically men um to compete they were celebrating the, the notion that trans women should compete in women's sport and um as you can imagine there was a fair amount of criticism from actual women about that and their response was to say we have seen you. We have reported you. My God. Mm. Yeah. Now that is that is sinister. When I eventually got a year later, it took me. When I eventually got hold of the chair of the National LGBT Police Network, I said I said to them, "What does this mean?" And he said, "I'll investigate." And he said, "I've taken it down." And he said, "If it if it helps, um, it was an idle threat." I said, "No, that doesn't help at all. Okay. That makes it even worse." Because if, if you, from a national police network, are tweeting out what you know to be wrong just to scare people, then that is something which I take great issue with and which every member of the public should take great issue with. We've seen you. We've reported you. I can't think of anything more Stasi, Checker and Gestapo-like than that. But w- w- the general public would have assumed... I mean, I don't know how the inner workings of the police work, so we would assume that there is some form of body, some form of checks and balances that prevent just somebody deciding within the police force, whether it's well-intentioned or not, just basically making it up as they go along. That's that's not that's not a strategy you could have in, in any business, let alone anything that is, you know, so important to us. Uh, I thought the, the role of the police was to keep the peace, basically, and and I thought that the the police these days are very much um, monitored in everything they do, much more than they were ever done before. But it seems like the the, the Bobby on the street has to fill out you know a hundred forms before he can do his job. Yet there are, there are people tweeting just what they feel should be the right thing to say, just to scare people because they they feel it's in the right ballpark. I mean, it's also vague. It's all, but it's purposefully vague. It's purposefully vague. Uh, after I'd beaten the chief constable of homicide, uh, he was good enough to invite me over for a coffee and a chat. 
which was which was nice of him. And I like I like the chief constable. I think he's a good a good operational copper. Mm. Just when it comes to this sort of thing, he has an absolute blind spot. And I said to him, look, I understand how a young, over-enthusiastic police officer came and said, I need to check your thinking. I get that. But when, when the world's press appeared and when, you know, when, when there was the threat of legal action and all the rest of it, why did somebody further up the chain of command not apply some common sense? And the chief constable's answer absolutely chilled me to the bone because he said, Harry, you should know common sense is not an appropriate tool for a police officer because it leads to unpredictable outcomes. What we need is more guidance. Mm. And that's mm. chilling. That's chilling. And it's chilling for a, number of, for a number of reasons. The first one is that by dispensing with common sense, what you are in, in fact doing is dispensing with common law and the freedoms granted under common law. Because common law presumes common sense. It assumes that I'm not going to just arbitrarily thump you or steal from you or, or cause you injury. Uh, and that we have and that the law is there for those for those individuals who haven't got any common sense or common morality or common goodness. And at that point the state steps in. So by saying that we don't want common sense, we can't rely on common sense, you're driving a bus through the whole notion of common law and the basis of our freedoms. And by saying what we need is more guidance, what you're in actual fact doing is moving to a European model of permissions. Mm, that's a Napoleonic model, effectively. Yes, a Napoleonic model of permission. So the state tells you what you can do and what you can't do. As well, opposed to we, assuming everything is on the table unless it's expressly prohibited. That's exactly, yeah, exactly. So I am free to think, say, do absolutely anything, anything, up until the point that the law specifically says this far and no further. Mm. That is the basis of our freedom. But by moving to a position of guidance, where irrespective of common sense, irrespective of reasonableness, rationality, and purely on the basis of perception, um, the police must then follow an algorithmic code and deal with you absent of common sense, that is incredibly worrying. We are, we are, this is policing by algorithm. That's the problem with guidance. So what we need is a return to common sense because that returns us back to common law and the freedoms which are uniquely British as opposed to European. So at the, the risk of sending the, the conversation off into a, or towards a, a radical, radically different tangent, how and why do you think we've got to this situation? Uh, okay, so how how have we got to this situation? I think part of it is to do with um, collective guilt in the police force, because the McPherson report makes it very clear that there was a culture of racism within within the police. So effectively, uh, you're saying there's there's been the pendulum has swung too far in the opposite direction now. Well, that's precisely what Douglas Murray says. So there's yeah. so, so so based on past sins, if you like. Uh, and past failings, what the police have done, they've they've conducted an over, well, not just a little overcorrection. Um, I don't think in fact, I don't think in fact, calling it an overcorrection is right, because what they've done, they've taken their own failings, 
with regard to race and how they police race. And they've applied it to transgenderism, for instance. Mm. Well, the two things are entirely separate and distinct. But even worse than that, the police, the McPherson recommended that the police check their own thinking. And what they've done, what the police have done, is turn that round to check our thinking. So I think it's, I think I don't think it is a, a an overcorrection so much as a deflection. Mm. So what is the bad law project then? Okay, so, so the bad law project um, was conceived by me um, because what I wanted, what I, what I did with Humberside Police and the College of Policing Guidance, I recognised that this was a model that we could take in other directions, that we could repeat this model of holding institutions to account. Um, so the, the plan was always that, you know, we would, we would have a, a seminal win as we've had with the College of Policing and Humberside, and that we would then take our winnings, if you like, uh, the, the money that we have in the bank as a result of that, and then find another institution that is behaving similarly, that's treading on our Article 10 rights, that's, mm. that's suppressing free speech. And it moves on from suppressing speech to compelling speech. Mm. So, for instance, today, we've been dealing with a lovely, lovely uh, young lady who's been basically had her career pathway shut down by the Tavistock Centre because she will not subscribe to the idea that all white people are racist. Because she won't sign the document that says all white people are racist, her career pathway has been, in effect, shut down. Because by not saying all white people are racist, as far as they're concerned, that makes you a racist and they can't have racists in the NHS. So what we will do, we will have a look at that um, and we will go, right, this is entirely wrong, obviously, obviously wrong. Uh, this is not just about free speech. This is about compelled speech. Mm. This is about suppressing the free flow of ideas which are protected, absolutely protected by Article 10. The, the NHS is a, is a quasi-state Body, so Article 10 applies, and we will hold them to court. Uh, we'll hold them to ju judicial review, uh, absent of any more immediate remedy. So that's what the bad law project will do. And what um, what, what we would like to do is look at look at our entire life cycle from from cradle to grave, and go. You know, we 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 are supposed to be able to express ourselves freely and be served without fear or favour by the state institutions. And when that doesn't happen, uh, the bad law project will single them out and go into battle. That's pretty much mm. what it is. Yeah. And the, and the name, I mean, part, partly, obviously, the name is a, is a, a little bit of a troll on the um, Jolly and Morn's good law project. Um, but it's more than that. What we're saying is that there are some very good laws. Look, politicians seek to change laws. We don't. What we seek to do is to clean up existing law that's been rendered bad by mm. terrible bad practice or terribly bad guidance. So that's why we called it the bad law project. I mean, I'm minded, uh, minded of, uh, I think it's a Roman quote. I can't remember the author, but it's basically the more corrupt a society, the more, the more, the, the greater the number of laws. Yeah, no, that, that, that's exactly it. Because, yeah, exactly. Uh, because you need people to be chilled 
you need people to be scared, you know, afraid of their own shadow, uh, because by that means you manage to suppress them and you know keep the natives at bay. That's what the that's what the government wants us to do, uh, and so it's taken you know. Where the, where the law is insufficient for the wokerati to have their way, what they do, they issue guidance, which is projected as a, as a digestible representation of law, but actually what it is is a corruption of law. And because it comes with nice pictures and speech bubbles and nice subjective testimonies and bullet points and it's colourful and all the rest of it, it's not as dry as looking up the actual law, they get away with it. You get away with it because there's been this, this massive conflation between law and guidance. And so what the Bad Law Project will seek to do is to strip out the illegal guidance from the actual law. That's the plan anyway. So, so ask, this is, uh, get, sorry, Go on, Paul. Go on, Paul. I, I was just going to say, asking someone to sign a document that says that all white people are, are racist is racist in itself. Yeah, well, you can see that and I can see that. And most 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 people can say that. But what they claim is that is that white people are so obviously racist um, that it's a it's a truth that doesn't need justification. So then, why would they need a signature? <laughs> well, exactly, <laughs> exactly, because you've got you've got to agree you've got to agree with them that the world is in fact flat. And as you can see, it's plainly obvious that the sun goes round the earth. And unless you sign up to that, it means you're the wrong sort. But that's got nothing to do with the job, though, either, has it? It's it's no, course, what, what, but, but, this crazy. I, I mean, well, I, what, I, they, like, what they say is what they say is, if you're dealing if you're dealing with someone who is black in a in a clinical setting, unless your first thought is all their problems are based on white racism, you cannot be an ex effective therapist mm. because you are you are ignoring the big the big white racist elephant in the room. So that's their justification for it. And of course, if you're a white person who comes in needing therapy, it's because you've got, you know, you're being tortured by your unconscious bias, which again, critical race theory in the form of um, uh, Tavistock therapy will be able to sort you out. Just sign but, the doctor. But this is essentially, no, it's yeah. essentially no different from which witchcraft trials, which is, well, if we dunk the witch and if she drowns, uh, well, she was okay, and if she's if she floats, she's a witch, and she has to die. So there's no getting out of it either way. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. You know, admit admit that you're a racist. Admit that you're a white supremacist on the basis of your the color of your skin, uh, and that's it. You've admitted it, haven't you? So anything you do, then it's like you've signed it. You're a racist. So here's a, here's a scenario. So I, I met uh, someone we've had on the, the podcast over the last couple of years, a guy called Sean Corrigan, who's an yeah. economist based in um, uh, Zurich, I think, uh, yeah. but certainly in Switzerland. And roughly 20 years ago, I met Sean for the first time in person. And he he said something to me that I, I hadn't heard before. He used, to, he used a phrase, an expression, the long march through the institutions, which I think can be attributed to a, an Italian called Gramsci or Gramsci, but essentially yeah. the long march is basically the the slow trudge, or maybe not so slow trudge, of communist socialist belief throughout basically the institutional structure of you know name insert country here. Here's a suggestion: the reason we are in this bizarre and deeply dystopian situation globally and certainly nationally is because the long march has finally reached its conclusion. In other words, 
irredeemable parts of our institutional uh, administration are hopelessly suffused by socialist interests. D- discuss. I agree. I agree with that entirely. This is this is straight out of Chairman Mao's playbook, isn't it? Oh. And, and and in the same way that Mao. Um, encouraged the young to ridicule, ridicule, jeer at, and throw out uh, the elder, you know, the older people. Their own parents, in some cases. Parents, yeah, parents, teachers, uh, anybody who's older with an old-fashioned view. We're we're classed as dinosaurs, relics, people who, thankfully, will soon die out, and it wouldn't be terrible if we sort of we help them along with that process in order to in order to usher in our brave new rainbow world. Um, that seems to be the thinking, and of course, whenever this is whenever this has been tried, it's spectac- Not only has it spectacularly failed, but it's spectacularly failed with a massive death count. Sure. And a massive, um, not just not just death, death, uh, actual deaths of people, which, which human and awful. economic cost. Yeah, human, economic, and cultural cost as well. You know, during during Mao's. Uh, time listening to, for instance, Beethoven or Marxist was seen as incredibly capitalist and bourgeois, uh, and so you couldn't do it. You had to listen to Chairman Mao's god awful um, operas or what have you, because everything else was was seen as um, a product of the West, and it had to go. In the same way, in the Soviet, in the old Soviet Union, if 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 if, if it turns out that you know that you had a fondness for a grand piano. Uh, or your parent had a grand piano, or your grandparent had a grand piano. Clearly a capitalist running dog. Uh, exactly. It was bourgeois, and you were tainted by it, and you had to go into the gulag with you. That's the way it went, because it, the, the rainbow sweeps everything aside, uh, because rainbow ideology is no different from any other um, communist, socialist, um, utopian ideology, which tramples all over human beings. So yeah, let's, 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 let's we, put, we are we are competitive as human beings. We are competitive. That's the, so, that's the nature of our humanity. We are tribal. So um, let me push this this suggestion a little bit further. Do you think we are literally in a soft war, a cold war, but could yet become a hot war? Do you think we're at war with China? I or, or the Chinese Communist Party. I think I think it's wrong to think of it in terms of national borders. I do. I think we need a brand new set of language and a new paradigm to to to, to describe it. I think this is a. It's certainly Maoist. Well, if you prefer, uh, I can use the use, use the phrase World Economic Forum then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. World Health that, Authority. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I would agree with that entirely. Um, there are there are very influential, unelected. Transnational, you know, yeah. non-governmental organisations. Absolutely. And how how do you defeat it? Because it transcends borders. That's that's one of my issues that I have with. Uh, and it also transcends democracy. Of course it does. Well, if it transcends borders, it transcends democracy, doesn't it? That's the problem. And I was always a, I was always a massive fan of free market of the free market economy. And my, my position was always well, if you don't like what they do at Tesco's, go to Sainsbury's. If you don't mm. like what they do at Sainsbury's, go to Asda. You know they can do what the hell what they want. This is they are private companies or or what have you. They can do what they want. You're a customer. Take your customer elsewhere. But how do you do that when cust- when when some of these large entities are much more like nation states than actual companies? Well, I mean, when Amazon controls basically everything in the retail environment, you can't you can't use any other provider realistically. That's right. So they've got 
they've got a monopoly, a de facto monopoly, and they act across borders. So they are more like they are more like a nation state. They behave like a nation state in that they set laws, they set rules, they set guidance. They have an arbitrary po uh, process of um, of disqualifying you from accessing their their services. Only last week, do, have you heard of Posey Parker? I know the name, but I, I'd be st I'd struggle to say precisely okay. why. Yeah, so okay, so Posey Parker, uh, she's the woman who does the uh, woman adult human female T-shirts. Right. Yeah, yeah, she's she's great. She um she looks a little bit like Marilyn Monroe. She's very gobby. Have you got an Have you got a number? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Extremely, <laughs> extremely intelligent. She's yeah, she's fantastic. Her and I get on like a house on fire. Funny enough. Anyway, last last week she had delivered to her house um, a delivery from Waitrose. And uh, in her studio um, that she has in her house, she's got adult human female uh, signs up and a neon and all the rest of it. And the delivery person, who happens to be a trans woman, said, what are you doing with those signs? And she said, well, I believe, I believe that a woman is an adult human female. And he said, well, I find those offensive. And she said, well, I don't care. I find it offensive that there are men dressed in skirts coming into, into female-only spaces. Mm. Uh, and he said, and she said to them, I would like you to leave now. So what they did, they left and reported her to reported her to Waitrose. And Waitrose had sent her a warning saying that they are likely to withdraw their custom from her because she took issue with, <laughs> with, with their employee who was in her space and challenged her about her own sign. But two can play this game because then consumers can arrange a mass boycott of Waitrose for being grotesquely woke and crap. Yeah, we, we, we can do that. And it works at that level because big and wonderful as Waitrose are, they're not Google, they're not Amazon. Mm, yeah, they've got no monopoly. No, exactly. You know, I'm quite, I'm quite happy to go down to Lidl um, if I want to. I go to the, you know, the, the, the grocery store, the local, the local shop, the local spa or what have you. It's not the same. When, you, when your choice is Apple or Microsoft. Really, what choice is that? Yes, yeah. What choice is that? So that's what I'm saying, they're behaving like, they're behaving like nation states and big, powerful nation states. Obstance choice, obstance choice. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So what, they, what they've done, they, they formed, a, if you like, an axis of evil. Um, they, they formed a, a coalition so that wherever you turn, you're gonna be subject to a variation of the same rules, regulations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And for me, that's just that's just entirely wrong. It's not about proper choice. And we need our governments to rise up and say, no, we're not having this. Because if the governments don't do it, at some point, I think the people will. And I'm not but to, what, to, what, to what extent do you do you suspect that the government's already been coerced into this anyway? Well, I think they've been entirely coerced into it. Mm. I think that I think that's the problem. Uh, you know, they they fly the flag. They attend the meetings. They take they yeah, they they take um, every every possible invite to a function or to go on some bloody island or what have you to you know to learn the latest wokery. Uh, nobody's holding them to account. Nobody. And we have certainly, had, certainly yeah. not media. Certainly not the legacy no, no, media. And we have a, a, a useless opposition as well. Again, this was this was no more obvious than during COVID where you would have Boris Johnson flanked on one side by one expert and on the other side by another expert. And because it was the expert saying it, what did Keir Starmer and the opposition do? 
absolutely nothing because they don't want to be seen to go against the experts. Well, that, it was actually worse than that. They doubled down on the nonsense. That's exactly it. So their idea of being in opposition was say, yes, 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 but more, more, more. Yeah, you should have done it harder, faster. Yeah, hard, harder, faster. Well, what we need is we need to get back to a um, model of antagonism, straightforward antagonism, where where the government says one thing and the opposition say, boo, no chance. We're not having it. Scrutinise it in the same way that we do in the courts. I mean, we would all recognise how evil and wrong it would be if, if, if the crime prosecution service stood up and said, we think this person is guilty of sin, and the defence set up, yeah, but actually, we think he is, but please take these into consideration as well. You go, well, that's wrong. You're supposed to be, you're supposed to be defending the, the, the geezer. Yeah. That's your job. Provide an opposition, because without an opposition, justice cannot be served. We know that. We know that. And without an opposition in government, then we cannot have, we cannot, we cannot have a system of government that we can trust. Well, to go back to go back to where we started uh, today, the if you have an opposition to government that are basically in league, you have a police state because there's no opposition. That's precisely, and it gets even worse. For instance, Priti Patel knew absolutely that non-crime hate incidents were unlawful. She came out last March, April time after I'd been to court and said they were terrible, and uh, she was wanting them to be the, the College of Policing to get rid of them straight away. Okay, so she knew that all along. She owns the College of Policing. She, as Home Secretary, is its own share, is one shareholder. But what she's done, she's farmed out the difficult job of governing the police to a private individual, me, to sort the police out. And that, I think, is, is it's cowardly, it's tragic, and it places an undue burden on a member of the public. So the Bad Law Project will seek to... Uh, relieve that burden from individuals and uh, fight for them. So you must have, um, like, I mean, I'd imagine how many cases on at one time. I mean, and and uh, you're probably looking for more resources because it's the sort of thing that as soon as people hear about, most people wouldn't know it existed. But um, once you hear about it, you think, well, yeah, there's probably thousands, if not tens of thousands of cases like this that need to be looked at. Yeah, there are. I mean, I don't know that there's tens of thousands. I think there are tens of thousands of examples of abuse by our foundational institutions. What we're looking for is that one, that seminal one, um, produced by each corrupt institution and go for that. So, for instance, the Free Speech Union. I get on very well with Toby Young. I think what they do is fantastic. But I would say that what the FSU does is quite defensive in that, um, they they take a subscription from their members. When a member gets into trouble, they will fight on behalf of that member to restore them back to their job or what have you. So it's a bit like the AA then? Yeah, yeah, it's a fantastic service. What we're going to do, our intention, is to go after the institution that caused that that tragedy in the first place. Mm. So I suppose they're, they're defensive. We're much more aggressive. We're, we're the attack. They're the defence. That's the way that I would see it. You want them to be thinking about you when they're making these laws, basically. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, we do. We we want um, we want we want we want to send a message to government. We want to send a message to the institutions that we can we can take on large, scary, powerful, well-funded institutions, and we can win. 
that's the message that we want to give to the NHS. We want to give it to education. We want to give it to HR departments. We want to give it to the judiciary, that we are prepared to take any of these institutions where we find political corruption, we are prepared to take them on and there is a fair chance that we will win. We beat the police twice. So I think I think we can beat anybody. So what about the area of education? Is that something that you've looked at? Yeah, absolutely. We've got a case at the moment that we are trying to get over the line in terms of getting it signed up. Of course, it's quite difficult when you're dealing with parents and kids in going through schools. But I can't tell you where this took place, but I can tell you what took place. Uh, about six, seven weeks ago, I, I was contacted by a, a distraught parent uh, because um, their 14-year-old autistic child had been visited at home by the police. They'd, been, they'd had Section 4 of the Public Order Act read to them, uh, and they were told that any further instances of their behaviour could result in two years imprisonment. What had they done? They'd misgendered somebody at school. Hmm. Okay, so that's what happened. Now, to be fair, there was also a little bit of foul language went on, um, but that's the kind of thing that would normally uh, be within the remit of the head teacher to sort out. Yeah. You don't send you don't send the SWAT team round, do you? No. As that's a rule, that, that's uh, heavy-handed to say the least. No. So we also we also are aware of the meeting that took place the following week between the head teacher, the head of year, the parents, and the child. Uh, the child and parents were told that unless they broke the cycle of extremism, by which they meant the they they, they believed in the primacy of sex over gender. Um, that this would likely lead to the boys having further trouble in life, such as, and they gave two examples. One, when you leave school and get a job, you would probably be sacked. And if you were to repeat this behavior in a pub, get this, you would likely be glassed in the face. Oh a, school, a school said this to a 14-year-old autistic child and their parents. Oh, my God. Yeah, so that is the kind. Of, that is the kind of case that's that, that's what we're up against that we will take on yes because they've conflated a simple act of you know deliberate misgendering basically going you're not a boy you're a girl you look like a girl you've got long hair like a girl you've got a girl's name and you dress like a girl you're a girl that's what it was that's mm. what it was and on the basis of that the police visited and the poor kid, oh, by the way, they were also reported to social services and prevent the anti-terrorist organisation. Hmm. They were also threatened with that. I, it's just... It doesn't, you can't really believe it. You can't <laughs> yeah. really believe it's true. You have to pinch Well, well, well I, I, I said this to um, my son-in-law, who's a police officer, and he said, I just don't believe it, Harry. I don't believe it. I said, I've got the tape recordings. I've got it all on tape. It happened. I've got it all on tape. So to, 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 to accelerate things on a little, without sort of wishing to sound like a council of despair, how hopeful are you that, that your, your, these pressure groups, if that's not an unfair way of describing these lobby interests, 
can can affect meaningful change because it seems to, as things stand it seems this the woke agenda seems to be so overpowering it's like you you feel almost powerless to you know to do anything in response well that's the whole point of course that's the whole point of pride month that's the yeah. whole yeah because everybody else gets a day but that lobby gets everybody, a whole month to yeah, waggle and, and waggle dildos month, in everyone's faces gay uncle day and then in november we'll have transgender day of remembrance again um and uh, what they do is the whole notion of flags and mantras and um, putting the, uh, the the stadium in was it in Germany last week uh, where 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 they had it all floodlit up in the in the um, LGBT colours. It's to it's in it's to make you think that resistance is utterly futile. Yeah, and it works, of course. It's, psy- it's psyops, psyops, it's psychological exactly. operations. It's exactly, and that's the power of flags. You know, if you if you have if you have enough flags. It signifies dominance and mm. subjugation, and even if you know you're right, you 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 just feel as though the it's so overwhelming that what's the point, and so you give up. That's the problem. So I think it relies on people like me who are, I suppose, just bull-headed, um, and also slightly slightly nuts. I think. Uh, to think that I can, or to think that I could change the police, that's the that's the vision of a lunatic, isn't it? Well, George, George Bernard Shaw said that the, the reasonable yeah. man adapts himself to the world, and the unreasonable man um, adapts, the, adapts world. the world to himself. So all progress depends on the unreasonable man. Yeah, that, that's exactly that's exactly the mantra uh, that 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 I that I follow. Because if it's right, it's right, and if it's wrong, it's wrong. And here's the thing. Even if ultimately my position on, say, for instance, trans women and gender is wrong, it doesn't matter. I still have the absolute right to resist that idea. We have the right to resist all ideas, regardless of rightness or wrongness. How much free speech do we actually have in this country? Because well, I... I, think we have I think we have very, I think we have very little, and I think we're going from a restriction on free speech to compelled speech. For instance, HR organizations now are asking you to put your pronouns in your bio. Well, to put a pronoun in a bio is to say, I have subscribed to gender ideology. Mm. Well, that's compelled speech, and we don't want compelled speech, but that's what's coming. We've gone from the suppression of free speech, and we're now moving into the era of compelled speech. Uh, so I think we've got I think we've got a war on our hands. But I'm an unreasonable man. But I'm also an optimist. Mm. I, I really am. I'm an optimist. I don't think you can go into these fights without a good dollop uh, of optimism and a massive sense of humor. The uh, I mean, to, 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 that, to that point, um, I was discussing something with um, discussing this very similar topic with <clears throat> some some people yesterday, and the point we were talking about the political situation, but also the the financial economic situation because we are we are notionally a sort of financial financial show financial podcast yeah. and the point i was i was suggesting was back in the 70s which now seems an uh, uncannily similar experience to what we're living through now with high inflation or stagflation union you know disharmony social disorder you know where do you where, do, where, where you know have you got a spare couple of days to, you know the comparisons are legion now they seem to me um yeah. And back then, you could—I mean, I was a kid in the '70s, so I don't really remember much of this uh, firsthand. 
Um, I was too young to remember the sort of the finer details and certainly the details relating to you know, matters of finance and economics. Nevertheless, I would imagine that the people who were, you know, firsthand the, the business people, the, the employees, workers just per se, in a, a horrible situation, probably in a situation of, you know, quiet or not so quiet despair, and you think there's no way out. And then Mrs. Thatcher came along. Yes. And not, 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 not to be overly sort of vainglorious about the Thatcherite revolution, but Mrs. Thatcher was a game changer. But the point right. I'm making is, until she actually got elected, you, you would have thought you could probably have been thinking, there's no way out of this. And then she comes out a bit like a kind of deus ex machina and changes yeah. things. So what I'm suggesting is, we, we don't yet know, we, we haven't seen the new Thatcher that may be there, but she, she, he or she may be out there waiting in the wings. But because we don't know who, who he or she is yet, it's a temptation to think they don't exist, but they, they do. We just haven't seen them yet. Well, yeah, I, I think that. But also what I've discovered is that you know, I didn't need to be in government to take hold of the levers of power. Mm. I was able to get my hands on the levers of power through the court, through, through judicial review. Mm. So I did the job of the, you know, what, the, what a good Home Secretary should have done, I did. I got hold of those levers of power and I pulled them and I put them back into the position that they should have been. That's not changing the law, that's correcting practice to bring it back in line with the law. And that, I think, is something that uh, that I can do and that individuals can do. We can bypass, we can bypass government and go direct to the courts if we have a strong enough case. And I think they're giving us strong enough cases all the time because they have they're, they're not our opponents are not that intelligent and they're incredibly arrogant and they believe they will get away with it without being resisted and of course when you do resist them and when you do hold them to account as we're seeing quite often they crumble i they crumbled in the maya forstatter case i strongly suspect that stonewall will crumble when the alison bailey um ruling comes out uh, i think they do not stand up very well to challenge they like they, like like any bully yeah they, they they rely on they rely on conversion therapy they convert our thinking uh under threat of some form of uh punishment or exclusion from society if we don't conform and they are not geared up to threat which is why they, they say that debate is hate to but go back to go back to the fair cop um uh, organization would your preference be to have, let's say, the I'm not, I'm not trying to be contentious, but let's say the rotten apples weeded out, or can they can they be salvaged and and restored to their former honour? Yeah, I think what needs to happen is quite clear to me. We need to we need to get rid entirely of the College of Policing. It needs closing down tomorrow. Mm. It it sucks up money. I think it what's it? I think it I think it has a a budget. Um, I worked it out. They've got. Each 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 person who works at the College of Policing is on an average wage of about fifty eight thousand pounds, and that's presumably the, taxpayer funded. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Which is the equivalent of two new police officers. Yeah. So that needs shutting down immediately. I mean, that's a bit. This is sounding a bit like the NHS now, which is a sort of managerial entity that has no real purpose, other than no, other no, than to grow itself, to grow itself and to invent. You know, new things to justify its existence yeah. and to keep gobbling up the money it yeah. doesn't actually do anything that makes any difference for instance um in 2020 the college of policing 
reissued their hate crime guidance. Um, and we, I wrote to them and said, okay, so in 2014, when you issued the original guidance, um, you, you did it based on a hypothesis that non-crime hate incidents would be effective in cutting down crime. So we're several years on now. What, what studies have you done to test uh, the hypothesis and to see how effective non-crime hate incidents have been? Because that's what you would expect from a professional organisation. And the answer came back, they haven't done any. They haven't done any. Why would they do anything? Because the non-crime hate incident, the recording, had become an end in itself. It was nothing to do and never was anything to do about preventing crime. It was a good and useful tool to silence individuals and restrict them from certain avenues of employment without any recourse whatsoever to the court, without any trial, without any charge, without any jury, without anything, it was an incredibly useful tool. And that's why they kicked up, that's why they kicked off when we challenged them on it. Yeah, it's... Um... So I'd shut them down. I would just shut them down. They're, 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 filled, with, they're filled with ideologues um, and semi-half-witted incompetents who couldn't make it as real police officers. And the education system needs needs changing. I was listening to the recent Joe Rogan podcast with Gad Saad, and yeah. they, they discussed this stuff, which is fantastic. It's just really good to hear, you know, people having a good debate and discussion about it. And the headline from Gad Saad was that um, things are starting to, the pendulum starting to move back in the other direction. Uh, in, in Well, certainly in America, or in his experience, um, and I I'd encourage you to listen to the actual podcast because it's um, it's it's nuanced but it's fascinating. But yeah, I mean I, I'm I'm hopeful and uh, I'm hopeful that maybe there will be a a political person with very strong leadership skills who can just stand up to this stuff and not just you know live in the grey areas and just let things happen just because it's politically expedient for them, um, knowing in their heart of hearts that things are wrong and letting them happen. Um, but I'm hoping that also the common sense of the general public will prevail and, and there'll be more and more people who are outraged by by the changes that are being very slowly affected upon them and it'll be the straw that breaks the, the camel's back and people just start saying, look, no, we're not. I'm not doing that. I'm, I've had enough of this. You know, we've got to push back against it. And I think one of the biggest areas where we see that is with comedy. And I think comedians um, are very good at obviously spotting what's going on and calling out the uh, the, the wrongdoing in the world and in, in, in an entertaining way but it's every joke has got a little bit of truth behind it and um you know i think there is is a very a, a very important area that needs to be supported um because we don't want comics to be shut down for making jokes um if people are offended that that that's that's their problem, you know. Just don't I, I would like Nish Kumar to be shut down just because he's not funny. <laughs> Someone takes his bike away. Well, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I agree, um, but uh, but actually, I'd have to say that I I support his. I would have to say that I'd support his right to to comedy. But in, a, in, a, in a in a free market, he could he could blather away till his heart's content. But because he's on the BBC, or at least he was, he gets a free ride because mm. you know the the wokery trumps anything else like 
having a, a, a community that actually wants to listen to him. The one I, I particularly enjoyed lately was uh, Lenny Henry and Clive Myrie on the BBC talking about lack of diversity at, at Glastonbury. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I know. Well, there we go. Where do you, where but, do you start? Yeah, I, I, I know. But for me, comedians have let us down badly. Um, one, they're, not, they're just not funny. Um, and they practice uh, an astonishing amount of self-censorship. Yeah, but I wonder, but you're, you're going to the wrong place. In their then, defense, Harry. I, w- I would I would simply flag the issue that they are, let's say, they're bubbles on the, the the undercurrent of the media themselves. And the media, if anyone's been a disgrace, it's the mainstream media over the last couple of years. The problem is they oh. get cancelled for for whatever they say. So this is the thing. So what do you do? It's an invidious position to be in. Well, I mean, well, what, what you've got to, what you've got to do is go. I'm not going to be cancelled. I'm going to go at Hyde Park Corner and do it there. If I can't, I, I will do whatever it takes. Yeah, but they're, they're paid by gigs. It's it's really hard, like, for, for them. I mean, it, there are, there. I mean, Comedy Unleashed, um, which is run by Andrew Doyle, is one, yeah. of, one of the venues that allows people to, That's allows the, the yeah. comics to say what they want to say. Yeah, and, it it is, and it's, it's you, if you want funny, check out Comedy Unleashed. It's, it's hilarious. But... You know, the, 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 it's just, it's not mainstream, right? It's not going to be live at the Apollo because that's the problem. Live at the Apollo will be watered down gags that have been through, you know, you're not allowed to say this, you're not allowed to say that. And more and more venues are going to be signing up to that in exactly the same way that you're saying that this lady's being asked to sign a declaration that all white people are racist. So, you know, there needs to be pushback. So at some point, everyone's going to say, look, comedy just isn't funny and then hopefully the free market will step in and say yeah why are we doing this by the way and then somebody else stands up and says yeah why are we doing this let's change it and then hopefully the pendulum will swing the other way but you know perhaps i'm just being too optimistic i don't know well i well yeah it's right i but i think we need to do it and i think we need to do it now and i think we need to risk our livelihoods um and we need to risk um quite a lot actually otherwise we're going to walk into being behind an iron curtain we'll walk into the gulag yeah yeah absolutely we, we are building our own berlin wall here it's absolutely uh, outrageous and if we, we we need we need brave people to stand up and do something and this is where i agree with um, douglas murray i i understand when people can't but for those of us that can we absolutely must we have a there is a greater responsibility on those of us who don't have an awful HR department uh, hanging over our heads um, to get up and say the unsayable. I think we must. I think we must just keep going out and saying almost the unsayable. I think we've got to keep pushing the limits of free speech to its absolute edges all the time in order to save it. And that's why that's why I, I use the hashtag say yes to hate which absolutely sent everybody into utter fits. And I went, well, no, I, I stand by it. Say yes to hate. Hate is an everyday emotion like love, jealousy, envy, rage. You cannot criminalize an emotion. The only time we should say no to hate is when hate leads to an action which is criminal. When it advocates violence against people, for example. Yeah, absolutely. We're completely against that. But just to say, you know, oh, all hate is terrible. Sorry, it's not. Hate is absolutely natural. It's all a funda- fundamental human emotion. It's not even one of the. It's not even one of the deadly sins, isn't hate? Yeah. 
It, 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 it's not. And what's interesting is when you look at the definition of hate, as adopted by the Crown, uh, the Crown Prosecution Service and the police, it includes antagonism, ill will, ill feeling and dislike. But isn't, mm. isn't this part of the problem also? You're talking about definitions and yeah. increasingly we're seeing in our society that definitions are becoming more and more fuzzy and on purpose on purpose yeah so so the documentary which i haven't seen which i really will get a copy of at some point is um what is a woman i don't know if you've heard about that Um, i watched it oh you've seen it okay but it'd be great to to hear what you think of it um but it's uh on the face of it it looks absolutely amazing and my guess is that all the arguments that the uh, filmmaker brings to these people just they just crumble and they either will say look i I don't want to answer any of this or they'll they'll give some vague answer that just doesn't make any sense a non-response response response. the the reason you're asking that question is because you're being antagonistic yeah i don't want to engage with someone who's being hateful that's that's the way it works why are you asking the question why are you asking what is a woman? Well, the short answer is because we cannot protect what we cannot define. How yes. about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, that, that, that's, that's exactly the point. Yeah. And, and we need those definitions, otherwise our courts can't work. We can't. And when you have adopted into, into the police and the, and the CPS a definition of hate that includes antagonism, well, I'm sorry, but our, our parliamentary democracy is based on antagonism. Our judicial system is based on antagonism. You can't say that antagonism is included in hate and all hate is wrong. You just can't because you've single-handedly swept away uh, the foundations of our justice system and our democracy. The reason that we have um, you know, in the House of Commons, the reason that uh, the opposition and the government or was it two two sword two swords lengths apart? Yeah, is because is because we all understand that each side hates the other and are antagonistic toward the other, and that's why we don't allow swords in into there, and we put a bit of distance between them just in case, because it's supposed to be antagonistic. There's supposed to be ill will. There's supposed to be ill feeling. What there isn't supposed to be is violence. But when we start saying words are literal violence then we're screwed well did you say i saw on the tube uh yesterday it was uh, there was a um a poster that said all domestic violence between men and women starts with words and i thought that what is that about that is that is ridiculous yeah, so it's, yeah, absolutely. Because what they're not interested in, in tackling domestic violence. What they're interested in is monitoring words. It's words that are the the, the, the understood subject there, not the violence. <coughs> they don't care about the violence. In the same way, the police don't care about. You know, when they talk about Black Lives Matter, no, they don't. They don't, if, if they cared about black lives, then they would be doing something about the black on black violence, which is taking place in London every day. They're only interested. They're only interested when a black life comes to an end as a result of a white action. That's the reason that we know who Stephen Lawrence is, because it was white people that killed him. It wasn't because Stephen Lawrence's life mattered. Yeah, so so, so the reason for them just wanting to use words in order to... to I mean, I don't know what that, what that post is supposed to make us, make us do. Or, you know, any normal person would look at it and think, 
well, yeah, okay. Uh, uh, violence can come from an argument, but it just depends, doesn't it? I mean, it's it just depends. And it, and it could be a woman on a man. I mean, it's like domestic violence is not just men and men and women men on women it's women on men but then then that goes back to what we were saying before how how are you then defining what a man or a woman is so you know you can't start using those words you can't just decide at this moment we've got no definition for the word woman and and this moment we actually have got a definition for the word woman it's it's just it, and and it, that speaks to racism as well. If you're going to stop say, being so genderist, Paul. Well, and then on top of that, you you're going to be in a position where you're going to start saying, "Well, okay, if I can change what my gender is because of the way I feel, maybe I can change my race as well." And yeah, well, your I, I, yeah I've, exactly. I've never understood why transgenderism is a thing, but trans race isn't. I mean, it seems to me far more logical that you could go. You know what? I've always grown up liking rap music. Uh, I can't stand you two. Um, I'm trans black. Yeah. I mean, I mean, why, why does that not work? Why does that not work? It, well, yeah. to be fair, you know, is it because I is black? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Why does it not? Why does it not work? I mean, one of the things that I got, so one of the tweets that I got into trouble for was saying I was a signed mammal at birth, but I, I identify as fish. Um, and that was classed as hate speech. What? <laughs> towards who? Towards who? Pis- Piscatorians. What? Yeah, Piscatorians. Ex- exactly. That was classed as that was classed as derogatory and hateful. <laughs> and um, and and were it not nipped in the bud quickly, it would lead to the death of Stephen Lawrence. Mm. As I reminded the police officer, I think you'll find he's already dead, mate. Oh my God, it's uh, yeah. Hmm. Well, there's a there's a test in, um, isn't there, with regard to, say, libel and slander as to whether people would believe it or not. So you can say something comedically and not be, from what I understand, if something's said comedically, then it they will pass the test of a rational person not believing it and, and understanding that it was comedy. But it makes you wonder what what is the rational person thinking these days? How, how do we define that? I'm not sure that definition holds anymore. I'm not sure. Well, that, it doesn't. Yeah. And actually, it gets worse than that because in the police guidance, it says, "Get this: any test of reasonableness about a perception is itself an incident of hate." What? No, oh, come on. That, that's... No, it does. It, no, it does. It says that absolutely. It is classed as a secondary incident of hate. So if you go, mm, not sure about that, there you are, right there. You're just committing another non-crime hate incident, and that's why the police cannot and must not ever um, apply a, a, a rationality or reason to the perception-based accusation. So the people that you know who are police officers, how how do they work day to day? Knowing, I mean, it, it, just trying to wrap your brain around what you have to say and what you can't say and what you can think and and all this other stuff it's just it's just mind-boggling well uh, again the, the the police are subject to this uh, themselves as well i'm dealing with um, an officer at the moment who simply expressed the opinion that people can't change sex to a colleague um and then found himself at the wrong end of a disciplinary investigation right seriously seriously um i mean how can this how can this right thankfully the vast majority of police officers are so busy dealing with everyday policing that they that they rarely come into contact with this. The the people that scare us are the community police officers, uh, the the legions of officers who are dedicated to um, eradicating hate. 
they're the ones that really scare me. I would sack all of them tomorrow or redeploy them to proper police work. Is part of the problem that because we've got new age, this new technology, we've got a few years ago, decade ago, Twitter was barely, it barely existed. And now we've got so much, um, so much that is communicated online through Facebook, through Twitter, through all the other platforms that it's the response has been, and obviously it's not been a good response, but there, there needed to be a response to it in order to try and, and deal with the, the some crimes. And this is just got getting thrown into it because of course there's the, if you threaten somebody actually threaten them through an electronic means, it's very clear that uh, as to, to what you're doing you know that 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 is that is a crime um but it it seems like that the the edges of that have been blurred slightly and 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 it's it's sort of bringing in more elements of what people are saying if it doesn't fit the general or or, or, i don't know even who who decides this stuff this is the worrying thing it's like who is deciding what is right and what is wrong here it just seems to be people are idly thinking right i don't like that let's just say that that's that's a crime and we can just try and fold it into this other thing that is a crime and we can just say our perception of it is a crime. But part part of it may come from the fact that we do need to sort out um, between companies and governments exactly how to communicate online. And it's su- such a new technology that it will have, if I could say politely, it's got teething problems. The other way, I think it's toxic. I mean, it's becoming more and more toxic. Um, and I, I try not to get involved with it because of that. Um, but uh, but it's a society we live in and our children are growing up with it and we need to do something about it. Yeah, the, the, the problem is people, people have been led to believe by the police that they have a right not to be offended. Hmm. Uh, well, nonsense. I mean, what happened? What happened with the um, with, with the with the. Uh, the Muslim demonstrations at that that film uh, last week, and Cineworld just immediately caved in. Uh, I really, why would you do that? So, so you're offended. I don't care that you're offended. I don't give a I don't give a damn that you are offended. That's the position that we need to get back to, and that's why you know I, I will go out of my way to offend somebody. I mean, I won't, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, we, yeah. we're almost at the point where we need to go out and be offensive in order to push back uh, against this nonsense. Otherwise, we will cancel ourselves. And we will close the Overton window. We'll close it on our discussion, our democracy, our justice system, our entertainment, our comedy, everything. And we are closing it ourselves because we are not resisting. And we are simply obeying. Every time we put a pronoun in our bio, because it's easier. Every time we don't tell the joke that we know's funny, um, but we're afraid because it's you know it's it touches on edgy. Subject. It's edgy. Yeah, a little bit edgy. We do we do not only ourselves a disservice, but I think we do society in our country a massive disservice. That's why you know I will laugh at the most outrageous jokes because the only thing that needs to happen about a joke is that it's funny. Simple yeah. as that. Yeah, I don't. Did you watch the latest? Uh, special on Netflix from Ricky Gervais. Yeah, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. It was Just absolutely superb. brilliant. Because yeah, he managed to get he gets in transgenderism and Auschwitz. Yeah, I think to, I think to be fair though, he can't top the uh, Golden Globes. That sort of ten fifteen minute routine there that has 
I don't know how many celebrities just wincing when yeah. when they get their moment in the, in the spotlight. Uh, that's that's his, his career defining moment for me. Well, he talked about that by saying he 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 said that he you know he did that for everybody outside the room. Basically, he said mm. that look, I, you know, he he knows that there are a few people in the room that he could have talked up to, to you know, but he just said there are millions of people who are watching it, this outside mm. who will get it. And he did it for them. And I thought, bloody hell, he's just a hero. It's brave. It's, it, it's, it's brave. And that's, again, what's, that's what Douglas Murray means. When those of us who are in a position where we can, it absolutely is incumbent upon us to do it. We have to. And I'm, I'm lucky I'm in that position. I haven't got anybody telling me what I can and can't do. So I will go out and I will go, yes, say yes to hate. I will poke poke the bear i will stick two fingers up at the police and the judiciary and whoever and i will express my free speech on behalf of the nation because without it we are heading to a very very dark place and mm. here's the thing i know absolutely where the line is because law good law is foreseeable so i know when I know the, the difference between making a statement which some people may find offensive and committing malicious communications or harassment targeted against an individual. I know that. I absolutely know that. So I won't go there. We don't need any new laws. We don't need any new rule. We don't need anything at all. We just need to understand the difference between law and guidance. We have to understand that just because something is offensive doesn't mean it's against the law. So Harry has laid down the gauntlet, so I'm going to mix my metaphors and rise to the bait. He mentioned uh, Auschwitz, and I'm just going to share. This is this is where um, it all goes horribly wrong for the State of the Markets podcast, and we never get we never get on again. Um, <laughs> Bernard Manning, I, I read a um, obituary a, a of Bernard Manning bizarrely in the Guardian, which is not a newspaper I ever voluntarily read, but I came across a, an obituary in the Guardian a few years back. And it, it said it, one of the, one of the jokes he said was because um, he had a club in the north. I forget where Harry may may remind us where the club was. I can't remember, but it's no, it's north of Watford. And yeah, was, um, was it Batley? Batley. I could believe it was Batley. Yeah. And and so he came on came on one night and said, "Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not going to attempt the accent, obviously. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd just like a moment's silence, please, because I just, I just heard that my grandfather died at Auschwitz, fell out of a machine gun nest." Now that is actually one of the funniest jokes thing I've ever heard in my entire life, but it's it's not exactly um, politically correct, but it but it is funny. It is funny. It is, <laughs> it is funny, and it's exactly the same when when Ricky Gervais um, was talking about Liam Neeson, and uh, you know he said, you know, I'll, I'll never be able to laugh at Schindler's List again. It's just it's just hilarious. Very. <laughs> <laughs> I've only just got that one because <laughs> what people yeah. don't realise is that things can be so bad that they are funny in the yeah. sense that, you know, you know, it's so bad. That's, that's what, that's the essence of the humor, but nobody is saying that they think that, that the Holocaust was a good thing. You know, it's you, just but like, you just need a basic level of subtlety or mental acumen to get that. Of course. Not everybody of course. possesses of course. that. Right now, right now we are engaged in a non-crime hate instance. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. By, yeah. by, by laughing in the way that we are doing, we are all of us are subject to being reported for a non-crime hate incident. You'll is, never, you'll never take me alive, copper. No, I'm exactly the same, mate. I, I'm, 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 I'll never take me alive either. And that's why we've got to do it. We have to do it. We've got to be offensive. We've got to keep pushing the boundary 
Uh, well, not even pushing the boundary, maintaining the boundary is what we need to do. Maintaining the boundary in terms of humour, in terms of political discourse, um, in terms of just our free speech. We've got to keep saying the thing which the people in the HR... The, unsay the unsayable thing. About. The unsayable thing. I, I, I've always wondered um, or intuitively thought that the UK legal system was one of the best in the world. I, from, what, from what I understand, a lot of European law is based upon our law. Yeah. And, and I've heard about instances in various other European countries with regard to how the law is, is um, it, it, you know, it, it, it put into effect. And it's, it's very scary. Um, yeah. But, but in, this, in this country, um, I would like to believe that the law works and okay, obviously there are instances where it doesn't, but on the whole it does. And we we've got a we've got a system that has been around for a very long time, and it is robust and it can't yeah. be easily interfered with. Would would that be fair? And I think it's absolutely fair. The problem is that's true the higher up the court system that you go. So down in the lower courts, you will have, for instance, an employment tribunal tell Maya Forstatter that the belief that humans can't change sex is not worthy in a democratic society. But then, of course, the higher the higher court overturns that and says, of course, it's uh, of course it's a view worthy of respect in a democratic society. Right. But you've got to have the legs to go through mm. um, the lower court systems and eventually get to you know the top, the top, the, the upper echelons of our justice system, and of course, that's where the real great minds are. And eventually, you get to the Supreme Court, and um, with a you know with a, with a fair wind, you're going to you're going to end up with a majority on the Supreme Court um, backing you up. My own concerns on this on this front arose during Brexit, when it became clear, at least to me, that the judiciary had been compromised. That they were this, you know, the entire force of the entire UK establishment was militarized and mobilized to try and squash a perfectly legitimate democratic uh, 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 vote. No, I, I, I agree entirely. And unfortunately, the, the judiciary is being influenced by this book called the Equal Treatment Bench Book, um, which the forward, the forward of which says that this is a book uh, that is used as guidance every day by the judiciary. And you should read it. You should read it. Mm. It, it, it. It adopts critical race theory in its entirety and says that anybody who is basically anybody that is white may be suffering from unconscious bias. Um, that the, 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 the notion that uh, judging racism based on irrational prejudice uh, on, on the basis of skin colour, that that's an old hat sort of um, definition of racism. So they've adopted whole critical race theory and they've also adopted whole gender theory entirely. So there are 79 paragraphs dedicated to tra transgender ideology with only one paragraph which acknowledges Maya Forstatter's victory. So it's captured. It's captured. So that's one of the things I think at, at some point we might we might go up against. So um, was there anything that so you wanted to tell us about what you're doing, Harry, um, before I think we go to media picks? Uh, no, really. I mean, you, uh, follow, follow, follow Fair Cop, follow the Bad Law Project. Uh, when we've got um, when we've got cases to announce, we'll announce them, and at that point you'll be able to. 
open your wallets and throw a load of money at us so that we can um, we can follow those cases through. Our guarantee is this. We have two guarantees. One, our our crowdfunding platform is uncancellable uh, because Alison Bailey, unfortunately, her crowd her, her crowd justice platform was cancelled under the weight of ideological pressure some months ago. And then, of course, we saw what happened with the truckers in Canada. Mm. Well, our platform is will not be cancelled. Once we take a case on, we will see it through. We will not be sending your money back. The second guarantee is this. In the event of a win, what we will do, we will take that money and we will apply it to a similar type of case. So we will roll your money through to the next case. But it will be broadly, broadly the same sort of thing. So police to police, for instance. You won't take your police money and apply it to a critical race theory. Um, right. Right, so it gets rolled into a similar case, basically. Rolled into a similar case, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. brilliant. Um, so uh, we, we've mentioned a couple of media picks, and I think I'm going to go with my um, Ricky Gervais one. Um, so Supernature, absolutely awesome if you haven't seen it. Now, Harry, you mentioned that you've seen What is a Woman. Um, aside from the one that you were going to pick, could you just tell us what, what you thought of that? I thought it was absolutely fantastic. I mean, I... I, I, I... It exposes, you've, you've got to watch it. it, it exposes the the way that the trans ideologues tie themselves into knots, not to answer, not to answer a question. Um, and also, it goes into some detail about the, the tragedy which is visited upon young people who have gender dysphoria um, and who are given, in the name of life-affirming surgery, they are, they are given... And in ultra, well, stuff that can't be altered. Yeah, life-altering surgery. Life-altering surgery. Uh, I mean, this is this is one of those. Things. If I was a betting man, I would be putting my money in a law firm uh, that, at some point, will take on um, all the people, all the sort of detransitioners, mm. and soon out of all these Dr. Mengele evil types who visited this evil upon upon people because they had they were suffering you know dysphoria it's a mental illness i i came across something that i, I hadn't really considered because I, I may be a bit naive and it was that it was a figure something like a million and a half dollars which is the amount that the pharmaceutical sector profits from ongoing yeah. medical provision of drugs and whatever other treatments for someone who's been through this process. So you can kind of see where, you know, qui bono. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 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 But isn't, um, isn't the fact that this documentary even exists and is coming out and is so popular, doesn't that tell us something about how potentially the tide might be turning? The pendulum could swing back. Yeah, sure. Oh, thank you. Absolutely. I think we've got hope. That's why I say I am an optimist and the vast majority of people agree with you and I. They do. It's just that we don't hold. We're, we're not in positions of power and influence. Yeah. But we are. We're uh, really. Now, this, this podcast is really big in Botswana. I'll have you know, Harry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, we've got we've got to do it. We've, we've got to take what we've got, don't we? We have to. Yeah, that's why you know, I'm, I'm more than happy to talk. on. I don't care whether you've got one follower or a million followers. Um, I will. I will spread the message far and wide. Brilliant, Tim. You, 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 you've got one to give us, perhaps. I've got one. I was going to go with the power of the dog, which is great, but I'm instead. Hold on a minute. Back, back, back. Power of the dog. Yeah, the power of the dog, which is uh, Jane Campion uh, Western, so kind of like nouveau Western, I suppose. Because it's. Yeah, uh, you're it was... not telling me you like that, are you? 
No, I, I, I like Jane Campion. I like Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, You'd like I, another Friends. It's, it's, it, it's intriguing. But anyhow, that's not the one woke, I'm going to choose. Woke, so I'm just... nonsense. woke nonsense. But anyhow, that's my... <laughs> Was it? Oh, wow. Okay. I, I enjoyed it anyway, for what it's worth. But that's not the one I'm going to choose. So Thank for God. people who aren't aware, Paul and I have had a sort of unofficial sparring contest over recent months and years which is we're trying to find the worst film ever made <laughs> and, and paul, paul is just knocking it out of the park so um paul paul i have to ask paul actually have you seen battle beyond the stars yet uh no but i i, I, I haven't you, managed you, to get you, through you star alluded, crash you alluded yet. you alluded oh sorry that's what i mean star crash sorry i meant yeah. star crash uh-huh yeah no i see maybe that they may be the same film for all i know i mean they're both awful but a, v- a very anyway. good friend of mine mentioned star crash and then i watched a little bit of it and realized how bad it was and was yeah. enjoying it so much i thought <laughs> and it was it was late and i thought i'm no, gonna I, really save it this i'll say I, i'll save it for a later and then i day. thought hang on a minute i remember tim mentioning this a long time ago it rang a bell so I can't remember now if it's Battle Beyond the Stars or Star Crash that has the line, Sire, a giant floating city is about to crash into us. Well, the, Logically, the, it would be Star Crash. It is, it is pretty bad. <laughs> it, it's, it is just bad. But you got to watch um, Ryan's Babe, which I was So just... this is the thing. So the, so the, the, the previous winner of, of this, you know, the all, 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 all you know, all, all, no holds barred contest was, uh, I'm just trying to think now. It was... Um, what, it was... The, uh, the room. Run for your wife. Run R- for your wife. The room. Run for your wife. Those no, the, are the, two. The, the, the room. Yeah, but the one that the Paul Rodriguez introduced, uh, run for your wife, was is is basically just shatteringly awful and brilliant at the same time. It's like it it exists in a quantum universe of its own law law of physics. But 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 I think actually, arguably superior in terms of awfulness and brilliance is the two thousand film Ryan's Babe. Yeah. And Ryan's Babe has all of the characteristics of The Room, which is the director is Ray Ramaya, the writer is Ray Ramaya. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if Ray Ramaya actually plays all of the roles himself as well. <laughs> but basically, Ryan's Babe, if you want to get an idea of just how awful this film is, and Paul and I have both seen it separately, uh, the, the, the byline on, the, on the, the DVD cover is, the road movie that doesn't know where it's going. <laughs> And, yeah, ain't and that, that the that truth? Pro- that probably was meant meant to sound like weirdly encouraging, rather than just a, an acknowledgement of disastrous awfulness. Anyhow, it's Ryan's babe. It's only ninety minutes, so you've got time to you know get a few get a few jars in once you've seen it because you think you I can't believe them. what I've just seen. Yeah. Um, it it is perhaps the worst film ever made. It's certainly a, a, a leading contender, but. I, I couldn't begin to describe how awful and brilliantly awful it is. So you just have to see it for yourself. But none of it makes any sense. And that's part of it, just part of its charm. It's absolutely awful. I suppose you could say most of the shots are in focus. So there is that going for it. And there's also weirdly kitschy um, soundtrack as well, which is like lift music for most of the film. So it's, it's unutterably awful, but brilliant. And it's called Ryan's Babe. And it has to be seen to be disbelieved. I'm gonna to have to watch that. That's that's on my list for tonight, then. Yeah, it's so. And yeah, also it, it, it describes itself, and this is always you can tell when someone knows they've kind of jumped the shark. It describes itself as a comedy drama thriller. It's like it's a comedy <laughs> drama thriller musical yeah. documentary black <laughs> comedy um, <laughs> travelogue. Uh, are there any other categories we haven't yet used? And I'm looking at IMDb now. The IMDb rating is four point two out of ten, which is generous. Uh, which is generous, generous if anything. But you can always tell, having seen like the room, you can always tell. Or actually, run for your wife, 
qualifies in this as well. You can always tell when there's one of these deliciously awful, bad, good, or just awful, good, just awful, bad, good films, because the reviews are like barbells. They will either be 10 stars, which means the review is written by the director or a member of his immediate family, or has one star, which is it's done by someone who's actually seen the film. There is nothing in between. Yeah. Ryan's Babe has the same characteristics. It is a barbell reviewed film, but it has to be seen to be disbelieved. And I, I, all I can do is thank Paul for having brought it into my life. It's given I, me I, I felt more really than bad. 90 minutes of pleasure. I was, I was actually worried when I gave it to you. I thought, hang on a minute. He might really hate this. And I'm guessing you watched it with your partner as well. No, I you watched. No, I watched it in isolation. I thought oh. this, this, this couldn't. This shouldn't necessarily be exposed to people who don't have to see it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I, I felt it should it, be treated like you know the the top grade of sort of industrial bioweaponry. Exactly, handled with with care and caution. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. I, 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 I'm more. I like a film that's got easily identifiable goodies and baddies. Um, so, for instance, I love Zulu. I think that's oh, great. Don't get it started on this. You don't know the can of worms you just opened yeah, up. Harry, you don't know what you've just said. <laughs> the podcast will be another two hours now, Tim. I, I've got to say, it ain't no power of the dog. I'll give you that. Well, there you go. So just, just in case anyone's unaware of the, the, the nether world that Paul and I also inhabit, there's a, there's a production company that, that cannot be named. It's called Far Cough Productions. And it's second outing on the, the silver screen, i.e. The, the PC, is funnily enough, it's a, a a pastiche of the film Zulu called Karen. So if Harry really wants a treat after this recording, Harry can go onto YouTube and just look up Far F A R Cough C O U G H. Two separate words. We're not crude. Um, Far Cough Productions Karen. Um, if you've ever seen, if you've ever seen a better pastiche of Zulu in a COVID protest video, we'd like to know what it is. Oh well, that's me absolutely sorted. <laughs> I can wait to get on this podcast so I can start watching films. Fantastic, fantastic. So it's Harry, only five. It's only five minutes. So you know, it's not 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 a long experience. Oh, I'll, I'll just have it on repeat if it's that good. That's not a problem. Brilliant. I'm, well, I'm, I still can't go. Power of the dog, really? You're trolling me now, aren't you? I'm not. I'm honestly not. Because do you not think that? Do you like? Well, do you like? You're being, you're being sexist. Uh, you're, you're being Jane Campionist. No, it's it's. Come on. It's a have, you, have you seen this ball, by the way? It's, it's Brokeback I Mountain I haven't seen with Cumberbatch, isn't it? That's what it, it is. It, it, it's all my problems. Yes, you, yes, you, you have, you have, you have skewered it to its essence. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm a repressed homosexual, and that's why I'm such, a, that's why I'm such an evil sod. And if only I got LGBTI'd, I'd, you know, this would have been an entirely different... This would have been high chaparral. If only, if only I'd sort of recognised the rainbow in me. Okay, I completely off. retract the paradigm. I'm going with three ten to humour. <laughs> We've never had a row about the media. Three ten to humour. Now, there's a good film. That's a great film. That's a fantastic film. Russell Crowe's in that one, isn't he? He which, is indeed. Which, which one was that? Three ten to humour. Ah, oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a proper film. That's good. a magnificent modern western. Yeah, good, goodies and baddies. Yeah. So, goodies and baddies. It's what we like. Exactly. Well, you, exactly. you'll struggle with Ryan's babe because there's nobody that can be described as either a goodie or a baddie, except everybody involved in the film is clearly a baddie. Yeah, it's just yeah, a bad I, I, film. I, I, it's just... I, I, I don't know. It's like the, the, the play that goes wrong, all that sort of stuff. I can't watch him. It's like, nah. G give me a film that's got a bit of violence in it. Very goodies and baddies. Some gangsters. I don't mind actually when when the good when the people that you like are actually the baddies. Hence, you know, massive Tony Soprano fan. Clearly, and Quentin Tarantino, presumably. 
No, yeah, absolutely true. Romance is the greatest film that was ever made. It's what, not bad. It's not bad. The Nest is is a brilliant film. Overrated. Oh, no. well, actually, the... I think I, I, I said we're going to have to have Harry back on just for a film special. <laughs> One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is not overrated. It's, it's massively overrated. It's a the, brilliant there's film. The Indian, there's the bit with the Indian. There's the Nurse Ratchet or whatever her name is. That's it. Yeah, I mean, I tell you what, if you could boil that down to like a five-minute pastiche, no, that would it's, be great. It's subtly brilliant because the, the, okay, the central... Okay, Paul, Paul, the call has been laid down. We now have to do a um, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest five-minute pastiche. Go! <laughs> Yes. Yes. Oh, I'd love to. One, one floor of the cooker's nest. I think that would be great. Yeah, massively, massively overrated film. I I saw it when I was, uh, I, I saw it when I was very young, and it it, it the, the thing with the film is it um, sticks the book in your is mind. Great. The book is great. By it the way. sticks in your mind, and it stuck in my mind, and then I watched it about uh, about five years ago for the second time, and I couldn't believe how powerful it was. So I, I personally, I just take that, Harry. Because, hey, because <laughs> let, let me explain why. Let me explain why. Because the central character is a horrible person, and it's that's why I mentioned it. He's not the sort of person that you. He's not a conventional hero. Exactly. He's in there for bad reasons, but yet you're on his side because he is going against the system. He's going against the rules. The fact that you can't do this and you can't do that. And this, it's done with cruelty. I, I'm surprised and, Harry wasn't more sympathetic. Yeah. Um, he, it, loses. he loses at the end of the day, doesn't he? Well, let's not, let's not put any spoilers uh, out He's not a winner. He's not, he's not, he's not a winner. He's but not, that's, not, but, yeah. not, there is no. a winner, though. There is a winner. And I think that's what makes it even more powerful. And well, maybe that, he that, couldn't be the winner. Tell me now that humanity was the winner. No, the winner, but no spoilers, no spoilers. No, no, but he perhaps he couldn't be the winner. Perhaps, perhaps the message of that was that well, he maybe, would maybe never change. Sort of he should not like self-sacrifice element to it as well. Well, he he couldn't go out in the real world as his character because his character was never going to change. He was always going to cause mm. problems. He was always yeah. going to be a, a wrong one, as it were. He was the but, agent provocateur. Yeah, so so he couldn't win. That's why a a better person, a silent person, had to win. Mm. So and that is the, that, that is the reason because all those elements are in a much better film, and that is why Thelma and Louise is superior film. to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest any day of the week. I never would have put those two mm. together. Intriguing, yeah, yeah. intriguing. Mm. But we we definitely need a follow up uh, film special. Yeah, now. definitely film special with Harry Miller. This, this could be a podcast on its own, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, who has the rights to this? Do we have it or do you? Well, we'll share it with you, Harry. We'll share it with you. We're, we're fair men. Yeah. Oh, well, fair enough then. Absolutely. I'm, I will I will really look forward to sort of laying into you, you two's idea of what a good film is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I don't hold out much hope. What um, we could do, we could actually do something involving a, a, a boxing ring and having like <laughs> scantily clad ladies, to, you know, revealing the uh, the round and then... Some some good old fashioned ultraviolence, that sort of raging bull, and like slow motion blood and spit being spattered everywhere, and then intercut with sort of Mark Kermode style. Yes, it's a sensitive exegesis of blah 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 blah. blah. It, this is a winner. This is a guaranteed. This is a surefire winner. Well, this yeah. bit's not going in the pod, so we'll. we'll I'm, keep... no, I'm no. I'm not Mark Kermode. I'll tell you now, because he's another one. If he recommends a film, I don't watch it. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on that, absolutely. <laughs> but he does he does like The Exorcist, so uh, yeah, it doesn't make him a bad. He gets he gets some points back for that. But um, <laughs> but but Harry, so tell us how people can find you um, from social media or your websites or and or both. Yeah, well, if, 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 the, the best place to go is 
go to Twitter, look up, uh, look up uh, Bad Law Project, uh, that's at Bad Law Team, or look up Fair Cop, that's at We Are Fair Cop. Uh, that will take you to websites and all the rest of it. And that's how you'll find us. Brilliant. Well, we'll put those in the show notes. Uh, it's been tremendous fun and um, keep on keeping on. Absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, guys. I've loved it. Brilliant stuff. All the best. And thank you so much for listening. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do your own research or contact a professional advisor.